0: and welcome to Black White,
1: but mostly gray because life is not always neat and tidy. We live our lives in a million shades of gray where the lines between right and wrong are blurred by our own personal vision of reality.
0: If we take the time to look beyond the labels, we understand that most things are complex and nuanced. Not every situation is good or bad, not everything is right or wrong. There are many gray areas in life and that's what we want to explore. So open your minds and join us.
1: The McGinnity Family Foundation seeks to transform the world by helping young people use their innovative spirit to address local and global challenges. Our quarterly grant cycle is open and we are accepting applications. We invite young people aged 30 and under to apply for grants to fund their game-changing, socially innovative projects that address community needs. We are specifically looking for projects that align with our sustainability framework and address mental health, racial equality and or a community need that resulted from COVID-19. Visit the Grapevine page of butmostlygray.com for a link to our website and more information. McGinnity Family Foundation, transforming the world by giving voice to our young people.
0: Welcome back to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Today, we're going to talk about censorship, free speech, and hate speech on college campuses.
1: But first, we want to give a big thanks to our good friend, David Murray, because our exclusive Black, White, but Mostly Gray apparel is now available online in his shop.
0: Yes, exclusively at thinkfreethreadsandthanks.com. I gotta get me... One of those extra smalls before they sell out, Dan.
1: You can find more about Think Free threads on the Grapevine page of our website, but mostly gray.com. Plus, there's a link to their site so you can go right there and get your gear.
0: Hey, send us a pic of, of you wearing a black, white, but mostly gray shirt, and we will proudly post it on our Facebook page.
1: What an honor. Aliki, you know, colleges and universities today are trying to balance protecting First Amendment rights while also protecting and safeguarding their students. On the one hand, free speech is seen as a fundamental pillar of academic freedom, allowing for the exchange of diverse ideas and perspectives. And we're big fans of free speech here at Black, White, but Mostly Gray. On the other hand, administrators also have to create a safe and inclusive environment that protects students from hate speech, harassment, and discrimination.
0: The Israeli invasion of Gaza really did ignite a firestorm of debates and discussions regarding the boundaries of free speech, especially on college campuses. We are grateful that Dr. Amiri Manzili, professor of African-American studies at UC Riverside, will be joining us to discuss how the right to free speech can vary based on context and circumstances. We'll also discuss whether efforts to limit discussions related to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, which is aimed at maintaining peaceful campus environments, are actually restricting free speech rights.
1: But before we dive into that fascinating and complicated discussion, it's time to delve into the mysterious and unpredictable mind of our favorite Gemini, Yes, it's time for a leaky's world.
0: All righty, let's do it. I'm ready to Gemini explain some of my recent media posts. It's like mansplaining, only more insightful. Oh yeah, yeah. right. Maybe, <laughs> I like that one. <laughs> it's true, you know it. <laughs> yeah,
1: maybe, maybe not. Okay, the first is a video you shared that featured some of the world's greatest black-owned castles and palaces. What was it that caught your attention with this one?
0: Well, I just like how it shows the diversity and richness uh within blackness, you know? And and how black consciousness doesn't really have to be 24/7 about the ugliness of living in, in a darker skin. It's constantly there because of historical things, but I like stories that highlight uh the African or the black experience uh in in, in positive ways to to show that, you know, that yes there are people like us that you know live and lived in castles and chateaus and you know we we come from great origins you know our story did not start with colonialism or slavery so you know that's the reason why i i really like this post because you know it did go into the facilities castle uh in Ethiopia which you know was the residency of uh Ethiopian royalty for over 200 years and then in you know, High- the one-
1: the one that I really that caught my attention uh, a, and the story was was the palace that uh, Josephine Baker bought for her Rainbow Tribe, and yes. it was the first I heard of Rainbow Tribe. So after she served in the resistance during World War II as a spy for the Allies, she set about with her husband to build a family of children of all skin colors because she couldn't have children of her own. Yes. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and she. And it was dubbed the Rainbow Tribe. And some feel like she might be the founder of modern-day adoption. We need to talk more about her in a future episode. Fascinating lady.
0: We certainly do. And it's funny because that's one of the things that actually made me go like, wow, let me watch this video. Because when I saw that aspect, because a part of me, like when I was young, I used to be like, man, if I were like all rich and powerful, I definitely will have children mixed with me and all the different other races because you know i thought it would be fascinating to see a mixture of me with different races different yeah. groups <laughs>
1: you know, on the other end of the spectrum i ran across something on facebook the other day and it was about this woman and she's worth like 61 million dollars and she lives alone in her castle and i'm thinking what a waste
0: well but compared maybe she... to what
1: josephine baker is doing
0: you know the story of the castle and how she ended up in france You know, because this is an American born woman. Uh, She, you ever heard about the uh, East St. Louis uh, riots of 1917?
1: I don't think I have.
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, she, you know, she was there or she lived during those times, clearly, 1917. And uh, so this was in uh, St. Louis, Illinois. And back then, during that time, there were a lot of Black people uh, coming up to Illinois from. At the South. And so, you know, there was this big riot of basically angry white folk who were pissed that there were too many black people coming to take their jobs in <laughs> the plants in East St. Louis. Basically, Josephine Baker, after seeing all of that stuff, you know, she when she, the opportunity presented itself for her to move to France as an entertainer. she took it and 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 I saw I, I read a quote somewhere where she basically said, "Hey, you know, I'm es- escaping the dangers of being black in America. And she never looked back. It well, was. Mm-hmm. According
1: to Google AI, mm-hmm. the East St. Louis massacre and riots were some of the most violent of the 20th century, resulting in the deaths of at least 39 African Americans and the destruction of hundreds of black homes and businesses.
0: Yep, it says it, they destroyed. But you're
1: probably not going to read about that in grade school if if you're going to grade school in Florida.
0: Yeah, I mean, what well, what so, are they calling it? Critical race theory?
1: We will talk more about that later. All right, your next post is one you can handle all yourself. It's some it's some kind of female manifesto.
0: Oh, Dan, if you think it's a manifesto, then you don't know what a manifesto <laughs> I, is. <laughs> I,
1: I, don't, I don't know that. really. I like the word, though.
0: Uh, Yeah, let me read it to you. Yeah, that manifesto now sounds weird with all the crazy stuff that happens in our schools these days. I don't know. So, okay. So let me read this to you. It says, a divine feminine does not pursue. She does not coerce, manipulate, or seduce her way into a masculine's life. She is a high priestess, fully aware and in surrender to the divine.
1: That's pretty interesting.
0: It is interesting. This speaks to the aspect of myself that I deem to be divine as a woman. I look at it, you know, and I said, you know, if I'm made in the image of my creator, you know, the the the, the religious books tell us that we're made in the image of our creator, right? Then, well, yeah,
1: as a Christian, I mean, you could you could interpret that last line, fully aware and in surrender to the divine, to mean giving up one's will and trusting in God's teaching and will. It's it, You know, it's not an easy thing to do, but if you can get it done, it'll set you free, Aliki.
0: It sure will. You know, it doesn't have to be like, I feel like, you know, if we are created in the image of a creator, then we must have some of that divinity within us. So as a woman, you know, there's some, when you watch movies or the way many of us are raised in our African cultures and stuff, you know, we're supposed to, you know, be kind of coquettish and go in and, and do certain things to, to be chosen by the, you know, by the masculine, the, to be chosen by men, by society and stuff like that. Me, my mindset has always been, and as I've gotten older, you know, I am going to stay in my divinity. And if something is meant for me, it's meant for me. So I'm not going to go around manipulating and doing all kinds of stuff just so I can check a tick, you know, a, a box on my list of things that's deemed as an accomplishment. So that's why I posted that.
1: I good know. stuff. All right, the final one is more good advice from one of our favorite sages. Confucius, can you read this one for us?
0: Yes. If you hate a person, then you are defeated by them. I mean, this takes us back to our first episode about uh, forgiveness, Dan.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because when you hate, it fills you and overwhelms you.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, and as I like to say this, as of as I get older, whatever. But you know, as I I I, I get wiser, hopefully, <laughs> you know, uh, this the Eastern way of looking at life really, really just makes more sense to me because it helps me calm down my nervous system and and not dwell in all the ugly things that I could be living in because that's kind of how life seems sometimes. And as we get older, there's more accumulation. And as we learn more and we read more about history uh, and things like that, we can tend to get a lot more negative negative so it is very imperative to you know to kind of look to some of these uh, different philosophies uh to help calm down our nervous systems and uh live a more calm life
1: well you know looking into this and we cuz we kind of talked about forgiveness in our first episode and then it's come up over and over again and i think one of the things that has really stuck with me is you forgive someone for yourself not for the other person you know the That's other right. person might not even care so sometimes they it, don't yeah. So it, it, you do it for yourself. So get rid of that resentment that's clouding your life and you move on. And it doesn't mean you accept what they did. It's just like, it's kind of like forgive and move
0: on. Exactly. Easier said than done, but it's absolutely necessary.
1: All right. Once again, some good stuff from our favorite Gemini. We'll be right back with our special guest, Dr. Amiri Manzilli, to talk about free speech, hate speech, and much, much more. Stay with us.
2: David Murray, and I am creator and owner of Think Free Threads and Things, a Black owned online apparel company. Our apparel is fun, simple, and think free, with messages that encourage us to think freely, independently, creatively, intelligently, and wisely. We are excited to be the exclusive provider of Black, White, but mostly gray apparel you can check it out along with everything else we offer on our website ThinkFreeThreadsandThings.com That's ThinkFreeThreadsandThings.com You can also find more info and a link to our website on the Grapevine page of ButMostlyGray.com If we think free, we will move closer to achieving a more fair and equitable society for all people.
0: Welcome to Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Today, we are honored to have Dr. Manzili, who joins us from the University of California, Riverside, to discuss a very, very important topic, free speech censorship in higher education. Uh, Dr. Manzili is an experienced educator who is very skilled in critical pedagogy. He is a strong critical theorist. Welcome, Dr. Manzili.
3: Yeah, thank you, Aliki, for having me. Um, thank you for the uh, production and for all those involved with the production for um, allowing me to kind of discuss this sort of important topic.
0: Excellent. As Americans, the First Amendment of the, of the Constitution basically guarantees uh, us the freedom of speech, right? However, we've kind of seen in the last, I would say, it, it might have been longer, but I would say in the last 10 years or so, we've seen that freedom come under attack and most recently um, on college campuses. Now in April, the Nonpartisan Foundation for Individual Rights and Protection released a report analyzing 248 four-year colleges and universities, and they found what they said to be a very pervasive culture of censorship and conformity on those campuses. At the top of those universities, uh, we have you know, Harvard and the University of Pennsylvania Uh, who, interestingly, have been in the news a lot because of uh, what's been going on with uh, protests uh, regarding uh, the war between Israel and Palestine, basically. That is kind of like the background we're, we're going with.
3: Yeah, I think if I can, I would like to kind of start where, where Aliki started off with the the Constitution and, and you know, the rights granted to Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, I think for me, I would like to contextualize that a little bit. Um, as an African-descended person born in America, right, I consider myself an African in America, um, that Constitution has always been a little bit ominous for us, right? Like, it's the same Constitution. I would say that certain people are free, but, you know, we were not free, right? And um, certain Constitu- same Constitution, I would say that, you know, we've abolished enslavement except for those in the cultural system. So yes, while we have this lofty um, piece of paper that is the constitution that's supposed to like ensure these rights and privileges, um, as African people, we know that that can be subverted, right? As, as that pertains to how the college campus is being censored, um, a, again, from my context as an African intellectual, right, um, our epistemology, our knowledge has always been censored, right? Um, The whole idea of what's going on in Florida around trying to ban AP courses and things of that nature, that's the censorship of epistemology, right? So I I think that um, we have to be very intentional about how we address this conversation because, right, there's some forms of of censorship that is um, oppressive to my school of thought. Right. And there's some forms of censorship that I may agree with because it's oppressive to my community. Right. Um, so I, I do agree with the uh, capacity that any individual should have the ability to express their views. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's important to separate thought from action. Right. You can have the ability to think about something that may, may, that may not be supported or well welcomed. Um, but if you're not acting on it, then that's a separation. Right. But once that thought becomes action, then we're getting into like oppressive forces. So I I think once we kind of center that conversation around the separating thought and action, then we can kind of have a more robust conversation around censorship. Right. Because um, if you look into the bylaws of most college campuses, they're not going to say that they are going to censor. Right. But at the same time, they want to do things that that will protect students. And I think that's what the president of, of, of Howard got caught up in. Right. Like. How can I still honor students' ability to come and think and speak freely, but still allow this certain segment of my community, which is the college that I work for, to be protected, right? And I think this is where the conversation gets sticky. Um, But for me, I'm on the side of truth and justice, right? And sometimes that comes in conflict with these uh, modalities of censorship or or respectability politics. Dr.
1: Monsili, you had mentioned the Florida legislation that's prohibiting schools from promoting, you know, quote-unquote topics that are polarizing or divide society. You know, and according to its proponents, it's designed in part really to prevent teachers from making students feel guilty or shame about their race because of historical events. It's designed to ban educators from teaching students, you know, critical race theory, the belief that racism is infused in American society as well as its institutions. Now edu- educator, would you agree that our schools and universities have a responsibility to avoid sharing information that's divisive and polarizing?
3: So and again, uh, got to contextualize that, right um because what I'm hearing in the first part of the conversation is how the fear of those in Florida is that we don't want to make certain students feel uncomfortable, right so that's that's what I'm hearing in the first part of your conversation. I have to push back against that. Um, I teach African studies. I teach African studies with white students in the class. They're never uncomfortable. Um, If they are uncomfortable, they don't make me feel that way. They don't make me aware of the fact that they may feel uncomfortable. Um, I find that they're some of the most inquisitive and engaged students in the course, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I find that when, when contextualized appropriately, you could have a very detailed and uncomfortable conversation about whiteness and not have white people feel attacked. So again, I want you to be like very clear about the distinction I'm making. We could have critical conversations about this idea, this social concept of whiteness and not attack white people, right? So this is some of the pushback I think it has to have against this conversation around making people feel uncomfortable. Now, the second part of your conversation, does the institution have the, the duty to make, um, you know, not have people feel marginalized? Yes, right? Yes, but I think what happens is the right in Florida is using this as a political move yeah. to say that we as white skinned people are feeling uncomfortable about our country's history. Now, again, like I said earlier, for me at the end of the day, I'm not into politics. I'm on the side of truth and justice. Now, the truth of this country's history is it was vastly anti black, it was vastly patriarchal, it's mm-hmm. vastly sexist, right? This is the truth of the country. So for me, I'm not going to soften that truth to accommodate white sensibilities, right? I'm also a byproduct of this K through 12 educational institution that's within America, right? Right. They did not care about my comfort. They did not care about how I felt as the only black student in the class having to learn about enslavement and taught about it in this way that is not um, accurate or truthful, right? So yeah, I get the need to make certain communities feel comfortable, but the way that historically America has operated around that, the only community that they care about being comfortable is those who occupy white bodies, right? So if we're going to be about making communities feel comfortable, we have to ensure that all communities feel comfortable, right? So yeah, I'm on the side of that if this is a um, equitable, all-inclusive approach, but the American Institutions of Schooling has shown me that that's not historically been the case.
0: But what I also find interesting, and this is going back to Uh, the ongoing um, conversation around um, anti-Semitism on on these college campuses because of the protests. So my whole thing is, we're here, we got politicians who are calling out, I think it was the Speaker of the House who called out, uh, you know, these professors for basically not saying what they wanted to hear. Well, they were college
1: presidents.
0: Yeah, college, yes, college presidents, yes, and
1: they were college presidents from University of Penn, Harvard, and MIT,
0: yes, and they
1: and they couldn't answer the question, you know, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate your school's rules of code of conduct? Yes or no, and no one could say a yes or no.
0: But it's not a yes and a yes or no. If we're talking. We're talking. I think Eagle. the answer is yeah. yes. I mean, can't we? It depends.
3: So I think that to have that conversation effectively you have to deal with questions of power you have to deal with questions of positionality and you have to deal with the historical context so to me if you want to have this conversation in a way that's effective you have to deal with the entirety of the of, of the context of the situation the question is why is it so hard for them to answer that is one of the things that you asked me so I'm saying with this complete historical context that makes the question difficult and this is why the presidents had difficulty answering the question it's not a yes or no question. When you take in the historical context, it becomes convoluted, it becomes gray, if you will, right? So, what I'm trying to point to is the overall thing that makes this difficult to discuss, that makes this not a black and white conversation. But for me, it's important to contextualize the whole thing so that way we could begin to answer your question. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, because context is important in this, and I and I see where both sides are coming from. You know, you understand. So, you know, we live in a culture where we do want to boil everything to to these bullet points as if there's no context behind it. We've got politicians who usually are very into like, oh, the Fassman Amendment rights, you know, free speech. This, they're the ones now who are calling for censorship. So that's what makes it quite interesting. And I think it is important to be able to address that aspect of it. Uh, Dr. Uh, Manzili, do you, as an educator, feel like um, you are censored at this point? Do you do you feel like your job is on the line? Because that's been happening to a lot of educators uh, throughout the country.
3: So, I mean, yes, in a way, right? Um, but then it comes down to your personal um, commitment to your profession uh, or to your purpose, right? Um, it comes down for me, I'm, I'm very much about truth, right? So. I know there's just things that are uncomfortable that they would not want to talk about, but if it comes to it it has to be talked about, I'm gonna talk about it, right? Like, um, even if that does jeopardize my, uh, my career or my job. I think what's happening is some of it's a witch hunt, right? Um, yeah. Some of it is part of just this global um, Zionist censorship that takes place as well. Um, what we could do as citizens of this country is learn history, not not his story, right? Not not the American specified version of historical events, but learn true Capital H history,
1: right? Dr. Monzili, let's create a world where where you're put in charge of creating the standard and for your university in terms of how you're going to address free speech on campus. What what are the major points that you want to make? sure are in your platform?
3: So if I'm running a, a college university and I wanna talk about free speech, um, again, my it's gonna start from a space of truth, right? There's this African concept called Maat, M-A-A-T. And it's a, a principle embodying, sorry, it's a goddess embodying seven principles, truth, justice, harmony, balance, order, reciprocity, propriety. So those would be the seven principles that would guide any decision-making of my college. Um, those would be the principles that would uh, determine how we would go about free speech. So is your is your speech truthful? Is your speech just? Is your speech harmonious? Is your speech in order? Is it reciprocity? Is it propriety? So those would be the things that would guide my, po- um, my positioning on free speech. Um, there's another concept of in African spiritual folklore called inyam. And this concept believes that all human beings are perfect. All human beings have a divine destiny and purpose. All human beings have been called to do great things. And because of this belief, you shouldn't treat anyone less than their divine selves. So if your speech defiles that, then that's not acceptable on my campus. So between Kenyon and I will be the determining factors of how I would address Free speech on my in any space that I occupy.
1: Well, Dr. Monzili, that's actually built right into our mission statement. Recognizing the divinity of each each human being. So we definitely agree with you there. Aliki, any parting words? Any parting questions?
0: Uh no, I think this has been an interesting conversation, <laughs> to say the very least.
1: Dr. Monzili, too, i got to let you know I, I Aliki sometimes makes me ask the questions that she doesn't want to ask. And so I had to yeah, I had to. I, I had to be the bad cop today, but I, I hope you don't feel like I was being too argumentative. I was kind of enjoying it all.
3: No, nah, no. Nah, I mean, discourse is important. We can't have a conversation about free speech and then me feel some kind of way about you disagreeing with my position, right? That would it'd be right. Yeah. No. Nah.
1: And we'd love to have you back sometime. We'd love to have you. We're we're just trying to, you know, kind of create a, a community here where, where we're sharing ideas and trying to focus on things that we share in common and not so much on the things that divide us.
3: Yeah. I mean, I'm more than willing. Um, Aliki has my information. Uh, If you have a topic that you feel that I I could um, contribute to, yeah, just reach out. Hey,
1: thanks so much for joining us. You're welcome. Y'all have a good rest of your week.
3: You as well.
0: Thank you so much. Bye-bye.
1: not something that i'm prepared to talk about i'd I like to talk but i can but i know but to, i i got here, here a 30 minute podcast to, i'm not I, gonna so let you
3: know i need you to calm down one i need you to calm down because you invited I, me on podcast to express okay, my
1: Welcome back. Well, as I said in the introduction, Dr. Manzilli and I grew up in vastly different Americas. So I thought it was fascinating to hear how he framed our discussion in the vastly different experiences that he had from me growing up.
0: Yes, but as different as you guys are, you managed to have a fairly civilized conversation, (laughs) if I may say so, about a very explosive topic.
1: Fairly civilized?
0: Well, you know, you know what I mean. Uh, Dr. Manzili and I both expressed our views on how free speech rights remain a cornerstone of the First Amendment, and that, you know, should include the right to express uh, criticism of Israeli policies, if it does not incite violence or target individuals based on their identity or ethnicity.
1: Well, as you pointed out, sometimes the call to protect or suppress free speech depends on which way the wind is blowing politically. You know, and while we focus primarily on protests by pro-Palestinian students, the ACLU says they're seeing a rise in anti-Semitic, anti-Arab, and anti-Muslim discrimination with documented threats against Jewish, Palestinian, Muslim, Middle Eastern, and South Asian origin students and faculty alike on
0: campuses. Hate knows no boundaries. It's really made it tough for colleges and universities to manage increased threats and genuine fear on their campuses. Striking a balance between free speech and and safeguarding students requires thoughtful consideration, open dialogue, and a commitment to fostering both academic freedom and student well-being. I sure am glad that when I was going to college, you know, I had a chancellor that was very responsive to our needs on, on, on that campus when, you know, issues like that arose. It's very important.
1: And maybe we need to look at the solution that Dr. Manzilli offered. You know that is framing our free speech policies based on the, you know, seven principles of ma'ut. Is that did I say that right? Ma'ut ma'at ma'at ma'at. Yes. You know that's a moral and ethical principle that Egyptians were expected to embody in their daily actions and have really been kind of embraced by by some in African culture. Those seven principles are truth, justice, harmony, balance, order, propriety, and reciprocity. You know, those are pretty solid principles.
0: They are, and 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 these the seven principles really are just like uh, a revised or annotated or a shortened version of the original forty-two uh, principles of my art. And this this is an ancient text that was actually found in, I guess, in the pyramids. But it's it's said to be the foundation of a lot of our, the principles in many of our religious books, especially you know the Abrahamic religions. I live by these principles, you know, do I fulfill all of them at all the time? No, no. But I, you know, I try to be fair. I try not to lie and and things like that. Basic everyday things that we can practice as human beings to be not only kind to others, but also kind to ourselves.
1: And make the world a better place.
0: Make the world a better place. Yes. Well, Deno, that's going to do it for today. Again, we want to thank Dr. Manzili for joining us and sharing his insights
1: want to thank Kalanji Kadima for the awesome new season, two tunes. Loving those tunes, Connell.
0: Indeed we are. Visit our friends at Think Free Threads and Things and get yourself some swag. More info on butmostlygreat.com where you can also get more stuff to feed your brain. Please like and share our stuff on Facebook and Instagram as well. Thanks so much for listening. Please keep an open mind, a kind heart, and join us next time for Black, White, but Mostly Gray. Namaste, my friends.